Amen, amen. It is great to be back. We had a great Saturday night service here, and uh, but I want you to know the four services, Pastor and Lance did tell me that the 9 o'clock Sunday crowd is the most spiritual, godly, that it's the foundation for all of Bridgeway is the 9 o'clock crowd. I, I, I mean... I'm positive. I'm positive. He told me that I, I have that in my heart. But anyway, I was hoping he just finished preaching the first service. We have three morning services down in Natomas. And I was hoping I was watching him on live stream a little bit during worship. And I was hoping he was still going to be preaching. I was going to put the mic up there so you could get a little feel of your pastor down the highway today. But it is an honor to be here. Honestly, this idea on Pentecost Sunday throughout Sacramento. I don't know the exact number of pastors that are swapping churches um, but it is a, really a great thing. Um, and so I'm honored. I think your pastor, he's a great friend. He's a younger brother. I'm 53. I don't know how, quite how old Lance is, but um, we connect um, a lot, Susie and uh, his wife and my wife, Karen. Uh, we do some different events together, and we just have fallen in love with his leadership, his heart, his life. And uh, we are very familiar with <clears throat> the miracle of the Lord up here at Bridgeway. And uh, it's just a great, great thing to kind of pass each other on Highway 80 today as he's blessing real life church. He'll preach uh, four services, three morning, and then we have a five o'clock service in Del Paso Heights. We have a, a four campuses and one of our campuses is in the heart of Del Paso Heights. Um, so he's going to be have some prostitutes and some drunks tonight. It's a tough spot. It's probably the, one of the most hurting areas of our city where this is located and uh, the most precious people in the world. So I'll be praying for pastors tonight. He's going to be a great blessing to real life church in, in all those settings. But I just want to real quick, we got don't have a ton of time here, but I wanted just to introduce real quick my family. I want to show you my favorite picture of my wife. I've been married for 34 years, and this is still my favorite picture of my wife. So if you could put that up there, this is my favorite picture of my bride. I love it because it's just so feminine. She has the matching purse and the little barrette, and her mother dressed her perfectly. And it's just such a, a beautiful woman, girl, captured, swept away. You can see it in her eyes. She has seen something that has captured. She's seen a glimpse of the future and all the happiness that's in store for her. What do you think Karen has seen? I think she saw this is what she saw uh, right there. That's what she was looking at. I still don't know why that photo elicits uh, outbursts of uh, laughter. Wherever I share that around the country, it's, I get the same reaction. You don't even know that that's me. You're just assuming that that's me. I was going to preach in my little twisty velvet shorts and my little uh, striped socks and my, I don't know what that haircut was. It actually looks like a lot of dudes today, but this is back in 64, man. I think my dad was, when he put the Tupperware bowl on, was a little drunk or something because it just kind of went odd. Um, but... Anyway, that's me between my two uh, siblings, uh, Terry to the you're my left or you're right back there, my brother Doug. So we fell in love, and about about 17 years later, when we were 19 and fell in love, this was our engagement picture back in 1979, right there. So that's back when we had 50 pounds of hair uh, on our head. For anybody in here that's old enough to remember Donnie and Marie Osmond, remember them? So people say we look like them, but the problem is you can't tell who's Marie. Uh, because I think I look more like Marie than she did. So anyway, somehow it worked, and uh, we managed all that hair and uh, our hearts, and the Lord has been good. And so 34 years uh, ends up looking a little bit like this. 
so that's our family. That's Karen and I to the right would be your left. That's my uh, oldest son, Tyler, and his wife, Nicole. She's a beautiful young woman. She's half Chilean, half Mexican, and uh, she's, her name was Nicole Medina, our little Latina is what we called her, and they are on staff with us at Real Life Church. Then my other son, which is my youngest son, next to Tyler, the tall guy, 6'5", kid right there, he is married to the beautiful Brianna Collins uh, that's standing in front of Spencer, and uh, they uh, are do great. He, the Lord blessed him, you know, he almost died at childbirth, he had RSV, he was down at Sutter, uh, hanging on for dear life as an infant. And the doctor said he would be smallish and little and his kidneys wouldn't work and all that. So when he signed a full-ride football scholarship to play Pac-12 football, as a, it became a starting two-year starting tight end at Cal back in 2011 and 12. Um, we wanted to invite that doctor to say, well, we heard what you said, but we, we believe the report of the Lord for our son. And so he um, he's done great. And he uh, had a big sophomore year at Cal. And it was a starter, had 11, 12 catches, a couple touchdowns, had a touchdown against Stanford in the big game in 2011. And then going into his junior year, um, he caught a pass against the Ohio State Buckeyes at Ohio State and turned to the end zone. Second game of the season, we're back in Columbus, and a guy hit his knee and broke his knee straight back and laid, laid his calf at a 90-degree angle straight back. He almost got his leg amputated. It hit the artery. And he tore everything that could be torn, tried to come back for the 2013 season. Uh, we had a new coach, Sonny Dykes, at that time. And he practiced five practices and couldn't get his speed. And so he had to medically retire, but the Lord's blessed him. He now is a grad assistant. He coaches the inside receivers uh, for Cal and is, has a great future in college football and led numerous teammates to the Lord and just a great, great young man of God. My son Kramer right next to him, this picture right here is when, uh, he, he's my single son right there. He actually, um, though his girlfriend and him were here last night, so there's great hope uh, right there. <laughs> but I was preaching recently about a year ago in Portland and to about 3,000 young adults at this big conference for uh, 20-somethings, and they were all Ukrainian and Russian young people that live in Portland, Oregon. They came from all over that part of the country. And I showed the picture, and my son texts me, and he says, uh, he had 33 Facebook requests before I was done preaching that, that night. And he says, Dad, who's Olga? And I said, I don't know who Olga is, but you need to get to Portland as quick as you can. She's beautiful. But anyway, he's taken now, so he, he is a great young man. He was a, signed a full-ride D1 football scholarship to Portland State. He was an all-city, first-team all-city quarterback uh, here in 2008 in Sacramento and a great young man. Then went to Azusa Pacific, graduated, has his master's degree from Liberty and then my daughter, Jocelyn, right there in the front, the bearded man next to her. I should have never let him in my church. Um, he came here to do an, a leadership internship from Brazil. And I saw him, and he was tall. His name was Marcelo. And that's a, that's a bad sign right there when their name is Marcelo. And they were about the same age, and I said, this is not going to end well. And sure enough, they fell in love, and he stole her heart and took her back to Brazil. And they live in Sao Paulo, Brazil. They are uh, pastors of a great church down there. So, uh, But what's really swept us out to see the last couple months is this. We have just a couple more pictures. That's little Elias, our first little dude right there. He was born in November. And uh, here's another picture of him right there. That's little Elias. We love him. And then, then uh, one month ago, four weeks ago, our second grandson was born. Spencer and Brianna had their little guy. He, his name is Spencer Jr. And so we're blessed uh, beyond measure to uh, love our kids, have our kids. So that's a little glimpse in a fast and furious way 
We're going to be in 1 Samuel 25 in just a moment. The scriptures will be on the screen, but I know Bridgeway is a place that loves God's word and loves to keep notes, so get those ready if you will. I just want to take 60 seconds. Um, I don't think that after this service, we brought several hundred of these, three or four hundred of these last night, and they're, I think all but 80 of them are gone. Uh, Pastor Lance mentioned we just came out with a resource that's different. Uh, it's, this book is not like your a normal book. It's filled with 500 original discussion starters on leadership. About three years ago, a guy that works at SMUD was in our Sunday morning service and said, hey, pastor, can I use what you said at our um, uh, manager's meeting tomorrow? He said, I want to tweak it a little bit. So on Facebook that night, he said, hey, how did you say that? I, I wrote it back a little bit different ways so it could be used in a, in, a, in a marketplace setting. And somebody else jumped on and said, hey, can I use that? Can I use that? So I started to give this guy some stuff on Facebook. About three weeks later, we, we started a dedicated Facebook site called Note to Leaders. It's kind of a stupid name, to be honest, because uh, I had no time to think it through. To give away kind of free leadership, I always wanted to write a book to give to our people that they could give to their atheist bosses on leadership. How many of you work? You work for the Antichrist. Yeah, uh, your boss, you've located him. You know who he is. You know his name, you work for him. Um, so anyway, I, I'm being facetious, but I wanted to put a book together that you could give to a non-Christian on leadership and write it in such a way. Uh, you know, it's fascinating that the two men, the two most wicked nations in the Bible was Egypt and Babylon. Isn't it fascinating that the two men of whom nothing is spoken negative about their life, as far as the longest or the most broad volume of scripture is written about Joseph and Daniel in the Bible. And there's not a negative thing spoken about Joseph or Daniel in the Bible. And they became executive leaders of the two most wicked nations in the Bible. And so I believe God does want to use us in ways that we never dreamed, in places that are loveless and lawless. And we know the momentum is gaining in this nation of a loveless and lawless society. And so I, I, I wrote this, and we put together, we put out about 1,500 posts over the last three years. And we have about 102,000 people on this Facebook site. And, um, and we took the top 500 posts, and we put them into a set of discussion starters on virtuous leadership. And it's been fascinating. I forgot to bring my coin this morning. I just got a chance to train the U.S. Special Forces, uh, all the Black Hawk pilots um, or the Night Stalkers. These are the guys that got Bin Laden, got Captain Phillips. They're part of the 160th. I got a chance to go back to Georgia and meet with them and some of the SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force leaders and train them in these principles. I was actually, the door opened as the first civilian to be able to do this particular event for about two hours with these leaders. It was the most life-changing experience of my life. Um, right around that time, I got a chance to go and train all the California State Prison Wardens. You know that a wonderful dynamic Christian man is the head of the California prison systems. His name is Ralph Diaz. He's the undersecretary and he oversees 55,000 staff and 110,000 inmates and 40 wardens. And he's a wonderful man. You need to pray for him. Um, and he invited me to come and train all the, the wardens uh, in leadership. And we just had a great day. So a lot of these principles are talked about in that book. I just had a guy and Charlotte get by 500 copies of this to give to every police officer and school teacher in Charlotte. He wants it on their nightstand. So I think we've only got a few copies left. If they're all gone afterwards, you can get it on, on Amazon. So it's a pretty cool tool uh, to use in the marketplace. So let's go to the word today. First Samuel chapter 25. I want to share a teaching this morning called the Abigail effect. The Bible says in first Samuel 25, then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. 
And there was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel, or it's Carmel, but seriously, a wealthy guy living in Carmel. Uh, we we kind of get that, don't we? It doesn't say there was a wealthy man from Rio Linda. It says a wealthy man from Carmel. Now, I live near Rio Linda. That's my, that's my neck of the woods. But it's actually Carmel, but we're going to call it Carmel just for uh, the for uh, a sake of um, flair here this morning. There was a wealthy guy who, who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I never understood the monetary meaning of goats until I went to the nation of Nepal. And I'm actually taking my sixth straight trip there two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, we trek 28 miles up into the Himalayas. We take these solar-powered Bibles on foot. It's a crazy, rigorous, difficult. We get attacked by leeches. It's a crazy trip. And so we leave two weeks from Monday. But I've done this for five straight summers. And I learned a few summers ago, one of the pastors there told me that when a man wants a woman to to be his wife, he goes to the father and offers the father 25 goats. That's how you signify that you want her, that you love her, that you want her to be yours, 25 goats. Now, if the girl is desired by more than one guy, another guy can step forward and offer 30 goats. For the girl. And of course, at that point, she blushes and feels amazing about herself because there's a guy that's bidding on her. But if you want to just seal the deal, a guy would walk up to the father and he offers a hundred goats. A hundred goats closes all the bidding. The dad takes it on the spot. He doesn't say, who gives me a hundred and ten? hundred goats, she's yours. And of course, it's kind of legendary when a girl on the first offer gets a hundred goats offered for her. I came back and I wanted to get a t-shirt made that said, I married a hundred goat girl. I want you to know that I've always believed. Matter of fact, husbands, I want you to look at your wife right now and say, sweetheart, you are a hundred goat girl. You're a hundred goat girl. I would have dropped a hundred goats, not 25, not 30. I would have dropped a hundred goats in the opening moments of the bidding. (laughs) So, It was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal and his wife was Abigail. She was a sensible and beautiful woman, but Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. How do these people find each other? How does a beautiful, sensible woman marry a crude and rude dude? How does this happen? You ever seen a couple like this and you're going like, how did you guys get married? It's not whether opposites can attract, can opposites bond. And so somehow Abigail married Nabal, and they were a sharp contrast in reputation. Beautiful, sensible, crude, mean. But they were married. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel or Carmel with the message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, Nabal, your family and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. You ever met a guy like this? You're in a room and some stranger walks out, puts his hand out and says, Hey man, peace and prosperity. What's up? My name is. How you doing? How's your family? It's a great day. That guy, that's what these 10 men from the house of David were like when they went to introduce themselves to Nabal. They just put their hand out. They reached out for relationship and engagement and they wanted to, to, to build something in the future. When your shepherds, they said, stayed among us in Carmel, Nabal, we never harmed them. Nothing was ever stolen from them. And here's what Nabal says. 
Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered at the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are a lot of servants these days that run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat and I, that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Have you ever st- stretched out your hand in relationship to somebody only to have it spit upon? To have it rejected at that level? Let me tell you something, friends. If you're like Nabal, if you are suspicious of people you've never met, then the kingdom will never flourish through your life. If you make the next person pay for the actions of the previous person, and that's how you do life, your life will never flourish for the kingdom. This guy, Nabal, had already categorized and told these 10, our relationship has no future. Whenever you come across somebody with power, whether it's formal or informal power, if they come across rigid and cold, you immediately know that your relationship has no future because you've been put into a category. And we all know that once a person gets in the category, you can't get out of the category. If you come across somebody that has power though, and I don't mean the ultra uh, ultra powerful, I mean anybody that's a decision maker, accomplished, somebody that has something that you want or you want to become like them and they hold power and you need access to their heart, their information. You need them to open up a door. You need them to answer a question. And if you reach out to them and they come across rigid, it tells you that you have no hope in that relationship. That's exactly what Jesus did not do. When Jesus unclothed himself in Philippians 2 of radiance, What made Jesus so attractional is that though he was the great high priest, he always came across like a carpenter. When we walk into a room and we come across like we're the great high priest, rigid and cold and powerful, it causes the relationship or the person without the power to be on the defensive. It has a profound effect on them. That's why warmth is the greatest gift we give. When you come across somebody that has power and they're warm to you, it disarms you and lets you know that the relationship has a future. So Nabal comes across as worse as possible in an initial meeting. You talk about a bad first impression, but this guy had built a castle for himself that was so um, 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 barriered from the world around him and what, what he believed about himself when he looked into the mirror was so distorted He had no relational intelligence with the world around him. So the Bible says, I don't even know where you've come from. You're a bunch of outlaws. You remind me of somebody else, even though I have no history with you, you remind me about something. So I'm going to smear you in the reputation or the stigma of somebody that is not you. But you're going to get the blame for it. You're a bunch of outlaws. People that have your story are losers. And so what happened at that point is David's young men returned and told David what Nabal had said. David then says, get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David. 200 remained behind to guard the equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants ran ahead to Abigail and told Abigail this. Now, this guy was out of breath, I'm certain. He says, Abigail... 
of the wife of Nabal. Uh, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have, have, have been good to us. We've never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time that they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to the sheep and to us. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there's going to be trouble for our master and our whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail, the wife, wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes. She basically went to Costco as fast as possible. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell uh, her husband Nabal what she had done. Now, if we had time to dive deep, do you remember as a kid when they would show you that, that paper with the ink block, blotch on it, blob of ink, and they said, stare at it, do you see it? And you'd stare at it, and you couldn't see it. Then all of a sudden, you saw it. It was a woman's face. Remember her eyes and she had glasses, little nose and her lips and her hat. Remember that, that thing you would stare at? Once you saw it, you couldn't help but see it every time. You couldn't unsee it once you saw it. That's what revelation is. Uh, the scripture works the same way. For those who don't know Christ, the Bible is a disjointed bag of little fortune cookie slogans that make no sense there's no cadence. It's a bunch of stories that start and stop that they cannot connect. But once Christ becomes revealed to your heart, once you receive him and see what Christ has done on the cross for us, when he both paid off the debt and purchased our salvation in one gigantic check that he signed called Calvary, that there was so much eternal value in that death that all the sins of yesterday and the sins that I would in the future commit were covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Once you see the covenant of Christ, once you see the beauty of both high priest and sacrifice in one man, once you understand the second Adam, once Jesus becomes your Savior, you can't unsee Jesus throughout all of Scripture. So what happens is Abigail... Is a powerful picture of Christ. I want you to think about Abigail as a shadow or a type of redemption. The Bible says when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. I live with the dude. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool just as his name suggests, but I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and to the young men. Please forgive me if I've offended you. She came in a mild, meek way in such a way that it was almost unrecognizable that she had the authority to do this. And she says, if I've offended you in any way, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, David. For you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. 
but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he has promised David and has made you the leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember your servant. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Then David accepted the present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you have said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found Nabal was throwing a big party and celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. She didn't tell him everything about the meeting with David until the dawn of the next day in the morning when Nabal was sober. His wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke. And he laid paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he was dead. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. I want to talk to you for just a few more moments about the Abigail effect. What is the Abigail effect? Well, first of all, you need to understand that not everyone wants the blessing that you bring. In this life, as we move forward, into intense winds and waters that are loveless and lawless in this world. The spirit of the Antichrist is manifesting more forcefully and visibly than ever before. I love what Ed Stetzer said. He said the word Christian is going to be used less and less in America, but it's going to be understood better than ever more and more. It'll be used less but understood more, and I think that's a healthy place for the American church. So we are heading headlong into times and seasons as a nation of going possibly from the misunderstood church to the persecuted church to what I believe will be the exiled church. Where will your faith be? How will you stand? How will you live in joy in such a context? I believe the Abigail effect tells us a lot about the days in which we live right now. First of all, not everybody wants the gift that we bring. The gospel that is inside of you, the love of Jesus that is inside of you, the love that's seeking to press in collides with the pain that is pushing back. Remember when Ruth and Orpah and Naomi in this great book of Ruth, the two daughters-in-law lost their husband. Mama lost her husband. All the three major males in the story are all dead, no grandchildren. And Naomi said, I've done the math, girls. God's against me. My name is bitter. You girls need to go back and build a life. And both girls, Orpah and Ruth, said, no, we're going to stay with you. And it says they both wept. Naomi doubled down on her pain because when the love presses in, the pain pushes back. That's the collision. And so what happened is Ruth and Orpah say, no, we love you. We're going to stay. Naomi then goes... What, if I was to get married and have, uh, uh, get married and have boys tonight, you're gonna wait a lifetime? No. God's against me. My name is bitter. You need to get out of here. Orpa is like many churches in the United States. They give it one shot. They give it one shot. Because the Bible says that Orpa then turned and left. And she said, Hey, I tried. Tried to love you. 
Tried to be a blessing. Tried to be a gift. You don't want it? Great. Hey, we tried to, to uh, reach out to people and reconcile. We tried to help the poor. We tried to do this. Man, you don't want it? We gave it our best shot. And in Orpah's case, the one daughter-in-law, the pain was more powerful than the love. But Ruth, she doubles down in the famous verse that says, no, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you die, I will die. I'm not leaving. Because the love pressing in has to be more determined than the pain that pushes back. And it takes more than one shot, church, to love a city. And so finally, the Bible says, Naomi stopped urging her to leave once she saw her determination. What I'm saying is this. Sometimes you can get to a Naomi's heart. Sometimes the world is like Nabal. You confront a world that does not want the gift that we bring. Secondly, that no matter how you approach it with some people, they are slaves to their worldview. Nabal was treating everybody according to his stereotype. You're outlaws. These people had been a blessing to his herdsmen. And he categorized them as outlaws. He said, I've heard about people like you. How do I know you? I don't know you. I don't like you. If that's your MO that you inherited from your family tree, you're always going to struggle flourishing in the heart of the father for people. And so here you see somebody that will not shift even with the great graciousness of David's 10 men who were carrying his initial heart. But that's not why I'm reading this text is to describe there. Here's why I'm saying this to you today. When you hit that, whether you're on a campus, whether it's a family member that's like Nabal, whether you're in a workplace and they don't want the gift that's in you, my question is, what does that turn you into? The Bible says that David, once he heard the report, he said, get your swords. I believe the story shows us the, the tendency of human nature in which we have the capacity to temporarily surrender ourselves to a worldview we stand nothing for. David temporarily surrendered himself to a worldview that he stood nothing for. Ten seconds ago, you had ten guys who were extending a hand of love, peace, prosperity on you and your family. The guy goes, Puh. The effect it had on David was, okay, seriously? Okay, baby, game on, time to strap on. 400 guys mobilized with swords. And now it's on. The bloodshed will be historic. So the Bible says that David transformed, he surrendered, he vacated who he was. And I guess my plea today is that in these days in which we live, we cannot abandon and we see our tendency to abandon and turn on a dime and become the person that we're not born to be because this world is rejecting at levels and, and language and systems and the culture of our society rejecting the things that we hold dear. That's the gift that saved us. They want nothing to do with it. So the Bible says that he is on his way. Abigail, who is a type of Christ in this story. Because you can never underestimate the power of an urgent individual. Abigail, 
she runs ahead with all of her pallets again from Costco. She knows how to get to guy's heart. She's bringing all the food. But what she does first is Abigail meets David mid-mission. I want to ask you a question. Is your walk with God so intimate and genuine? When's the last time that the Lord stopped you from self-destruction mid-mission? When you were halfway there, when you had when you had galvanized and polarized and mobilized people behind your worldview that doesn't represent who you are, but everybody's with you. When's the last time the Lord stood in the middle of the road like Abigail, like this, and said, David, please, could Jesus, is he that real to you? Is the Holy Spirit's voice in your life so real that he could stop you mid-mission, mid-sentence and something that's going to destroy you and be with you for the rest of your life. She said, David, you'll never be free of the weight of the blood vengeance that's about to happen. Abigail, a type of Christ, stands in that road. And what does Abigail do? She doesn't adopt the way that human beings typically stop something negative by being more negative. So Nabal said, here's my tank. David said, well, here's my tank. Abigail doesn't come and say, well, here's my tank. And I'm just going to elevate and raise my voice. And I'm going to have greater threats and greater judgment and greater law. She stops David in his tracks by saying, David, you weren't born for this. This isn't who you are. You've been born for greatness. God has done something in your life. He has a dynasty that awaits you. You were born for more than this. She brings gifts and lavishes David in his identity and and into the call of who he's been created and already manifested that life in his leadership. You become something that you're not born to be, something you've never practiced. That's the power, friends, when we come up against the spirit of Nabal in our age. It can turn a sweet-spirited person who's on mission for the Lord. It can twist you in a moment's time emotionally to where you're taking up swords instead of extending the kingdom. So Abigail stops David and says, you weren't born for this. God has a great plan for your life. And David, to his credit... This is what made David so special and genuine as somebody that endeared through the generations. Acts 13 says that he fulfilled the purposes of God for his generation. Amazing that Saul was removed. David would commit all the sexual crimes and murder, but he would always be drawn back because his heart was humble before God. Saul, you can't really identify the big thing that he did, but he was removed because pride in his life would not let him humble himself before the Lord. David, he had this capacity in his life to say, thank you for stopping me, Abigail. How do you stop mid-sentence, mid-mission? Just like David did. You drop your sword and turn around. There's been times I'm about to say something to Karen. It's halfway out of my mouth. There's times where I'm so frustrated at the world around me, I'm about to turn and allow something petty to become war. And the Holy Spirit said, Scott, what are you doing? I can feel him standing in the middle of the road, delaying my behavior. I can push him aside the same way David could have pushed Abigail aside. 
or I can hear his voice in my life? Is your relationship with Jesus that real? Abigail becomes the picture of Christ in his church, lavishing the misguided in love. Whenever I see people riot in this country, especially young people, and I see them become something that they were not born to be, and I can be like Nabal and say, yeah, you're just a bunch of outlaws. Well, how about the 400 men that were with David? They weren't outlaws. This guy was totally wrong. They were acting like outlaws, but they weren't born for that. And it took grace, it took love, and it took a courageous, urgent woman of God to stand in the middle of the road as a type of Christ and of the Holy Spirit in our life as a believer. I told the church last night, and we're going to wrap here. You guys live in one of the most wonderful, weirdest towns in all of this region. I live in Sacramento, but I don't live in Roseville, Rockland. I'm friends with all the pastors. Ray Johnson, uh, 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 Greg Farrington at Destiny have a, the history of adventure. And Bridgeway, you guys are like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These churches are just dynamic. Now hear me, church, hear me. Do you know that some, another person's success doesn't steal your potential? Most people think that one person's success steals their potential. That's as ludicrous as a sailboat sitting in the San Francisco Harbor yelling at another sailboat that's going quickly past them at full speed saying, Stop it! You're stealing our wind! And this sailboat goes, Don't be a fool. Put your stupid sail up. There's plenty of wind in the harbor to sail a thousand boats. One person's success is not stealing anyone's win. Do you know that Roseville, Rockland is one of the great Christian regions in the United States of America? And I don't think you guys realize it. I believe there's thousands and thousands of Christians in this part of Sacramento that can't find each other. Here's what I'm praying. Someone said the other day, like, we have this, we're, doing our thing in Natomas and this other big church was starting in Folsom. They go, aren't you nervous? I said, have you lost your mind? We have people getting their heads cut off for being Christians. We have a group of millennials up in Grants Pass who just got executed last summer at a junior college for being Christians. We have theological jihadists that are trying to steal the American pulpit and, and trying to sexualize the sacredness of human relationships that are taught clearly in God's word. We have people trying to steal our pulpits. We have people being executed. We need thousands and thousands of Christians. We need every church jammed, doubled, tripled, quadrupled in size. We need Bridgeway to grow. We need Bayside to grow, Destiny to grow, Adventure. We need all of it. Change your thinking. My prayer for Bridgeway is that you would become an Abigail church, that there would be such a grace on your life, first of all. Don't let anything petty become war. And that you would have a voice in this region, a voice of kingdom reason and love, and you would speak grace and goodness, and you would be a calming agent in this region, and just really a reflection of God's kingdom at a level that you've never dreamed. I'm praying for you. These are great days ahead for the, for the church and for our city and for our nation. Be all in, friends. Don't be on the edge or the outside. Let's all stand together, friends. We're going to pray and close our morning. I think the prayer team is going to come stand across the front.
Thank you for letting a stranger come and yell at you for, for 30 minutes. I appreciate the invitation. I recognize many, many faces just from Sacramento out here. And uh, this is a great, great privilege and honor. Um, I want to pray over you. And then when I'm done praying, if you would like personal prayer for any reason, you've come today needing a relationship with Jesus on a personal level to be saved. You have believing you have to receive Christ. Even demons believe in Jesus. You got to receive Christ into your life. And so there's people that will walk you through what that, what that plan of salvation is all about. You come up for prayer, whatever your need may be. But I just want to pray over the house today. Can I do that? Jesus, I thank you for today, Lord. Wonderful folks, God. Wonderful church, Lord. So vibrant, so alive, Lord. So engaged. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just give, Lord, a, a, a grace over this wonderful house of Christians, Lord, that they've never known. Father, let them truly have the mantle of an Abigail, Lord, in their life, God. That they would be the most courageous and brave congregation in this region, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that they are standard bearers for uncompromising Bible teaching, Lord. Thank you for Pastor Lance. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this congregation, Lord. Father, we reaffirm, Lord, our love for your word. Not that we just read it, but that we love your word, Lord, in our life. Lord, continue, Lord Jesus, to spread, Lord, the Bible teaching from this church, Lord, around this nation, Lord. Bless them, God. I rejoice in their growth and in their influence, Lord. We need thousands more, Lord Jesus, to come into your kingdom, Lord. Father, I also pray that you would keep them in the move to the new building, Lord, all the chaos that can arise, Lord, and frustration and all the human stuff, Lord. Just keep Bridgeway safe and protected, Lord. Again, Lord, we committed this in this sanctuary. Nothing petty will become war. Jesus, we love you today. I speak life and goodness, Lord, and grace in your precious name. Amen. So thank you again, friends. We will be out in the lobby. I think we've got about 80 of those books left. So may God's grace be with you. Thank you so much. Drive safe. Smile at everybody. God bless you.